Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Welcome to Bleacher Blums. It has been a little bit since you have last heard from us, and it's probably because we put you on overload with a really good podcast, and then we back that up with interviews of Baker, the new manager of the Houston Astros, and then we also threw an interview with James Click, the new general manager of the Houston Astros, at you. Offered up some opinions on that, and of course it seems like every time we take a little bit of a break, we try and absorb what's happening around us, and then all of a sudden there's 17 more things that come out. And if there has been a great deal of drama, I'm not sure if this is how Major League Baseball and the Players Union wrote things up as far as attracting attention to the game, but there are a lot of eyes on baseball right now, and there are a lot of ears open because there's a lot of banter, there's a lot of uh, speculation, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, there's a lot of of anger. There's a lot of hate, but at the end of the day, it's still a game of baseball. And it's something that my co-host and I, David Tuttle, enjoy quite a bit. But before we get into the meat of this and answer some mailbag questions and maybe get into a little what'll Tuttle say, and so maybe some Blum and Blummer, I want to bring in uh, my buddy, David Tuttle. I think it's kind of ironic too, that we're, you know, you were on the West Coast, David, I'm down here in Houston, the epicenter of all the controversy. Then of course, there's a lot of West Coast fervor out there where you're at, but uh, maybe we'll get into some of those opinions later on. But personally, how is my man, David Tuttle, doing over the last week or so? Yeah, I'm doing well. And I, I think it's interesting because I think I'm able to stay out of the fray a little bit more than you are. Um, but definitely left coast, uh, third coast, there's a there's a slightly different uh, tenor to the conversation and the news articles. Uh, we touched on a couple podcasts ago about the, uh, the article passed by the uh, the the measure passed by the LA City Council that they wrote an article <laughs> in the LA Times about, you know, uh, getting the uh, the World Series title uh, taken away and stripped from Houston and brought back to uh, to LA. So that that lets you know the uh, the level headedness of uh, the Southern California folk out here <laughs> trying to take something that's uh, not rightfully theirs by a uh, LA City Council measure. So and I, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but obviously. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and uh, I really enjoyed the uh, Dusty Baker, uh, James Click interview. I hope the uh, podcast listeners did as well. I thought that created some insight and gave us a little more depth into what to look forward to throughout the upcoming year. But as you mentioned, there's a, a few speed bumps along the way here that we need to get through during spring training, it sounds like, uh, mostly with journalists and reporters and folks that want to uh, look in the rearview mirror. That's my opinion. And uh and we'll see how we can uh, how we can expedite that process here on the podcast. Yep, and this is the Bleacher Blums podcast. I am Jeff Blum. I am a 14-year Major League veteran. I am now retired and working as the color commentator for the Houston Astros. It should be an interesting year for myself. And, of course, my co-host that you just heard, David Tuttle, out there on the left coast. We used to be neighbors until I moved out here to Houston. But uh, Dave Tuttle did a great job playing for the Santa Clara University. You were the Broncos, I believe. Broncos, and, baby. Broncos, baby. And he eventually went on to, to play for Team USA for a while, played minor league baseball all the way up to the AAA level and was involved in some big trades, but uh, just did not get that break. And interestingly enough, played during that steroid era, much like I did, just didn't get the break to get into the big leagues. And maybe we'll touch on that a little bit because we know what playing on an unfair playing field is. 
I heard one of the most ludicrous comments out of this whole thing was from Kenley Jansen saying that it's that this is worse than the steroid era. And I appreciate that opinion. That's fine if you feel that way. But it was the comment that came after that that said everybody in the steroid era was doing steroids. You knucklehead. That is one of the stop. Don't say that because I know you know what your manager, Dave Roberts, played during the steroid era. I want you to go up to Dave Roberts and say, hey, Dave, you did steroids during the steroid era. What a load of crap. You know, that's where things get a little sketchy and a little iffy when these guys start to speak out of passion and anger. You start to say some stupid things. So I I would appreciate the fact that Kenley kind of retract just that piece of it because not everybody did steroids in the steroid era. And Dave Tuttle and I know what it's like to play in an unbalanced playing field. You need opportunity. You need some breaks. And you also need to be pretty good. So, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. I know you do, too. We've talked about it in past podcasts. But, uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure if I feel – this feels like it's getting worse than the, the the steroid era as far as some of the hatred and vitriol against player to player. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Um, I, I think the problem, I think, with this, comparing it to the steroid era, and this is what you were saying, is that – you know, kind of each clubhouse had a few guys doing steroids, yes. certainly in the minor leagues and the major leagues. So you had, you know, if if they put all the steroid users on one side, you might have five or six guys in your clubhouse and like 10 or 15 on the other side. And, you know, there may be some mixed things. This is kind of like gotten stacked against one team. So here we have the, you know, the 30 teams and all right, all 29 of us are going to look at those guys. And I think Will Clark, had a great statement about it, but John Smoltz this week, basically one of the oldest statements in the world, a cliche, right, is, hey, if you live in a glass house, don't throw stones. And and I think when we start, we kind of did talk about this uh, a few podcasts ago, when you look at the fact that, you know, which guys were on the 40-man rosters, which guys were in the bench, which guys were managing, I mean, already Alex Cora and Beltran and you know, these guys, fires, these guys that have moved on to other teams or guys that came in like Verlander came in late that year and Kemp came in late that year. And they're like, oh, this is what's going on. OK, like, I mean, you kind of get thrust in these environments, but we have to be really careful about saying, you know, who did what and to whom and when. And and I think that's where you're asking for attraction from Kenley Jansen. It's very easy to be upset and say, hey, look, you know, this is what happened and, and this is the result of it. And we're going to we're going to take action on those people. But I, I think it, as we've all said, and there's evidence that the Yankees and the Red Sox were involved in doing some of these things as well. And and I think what you and I kind of talked about prior is that this happened in 2017. We're now in 2020. Um, I, I, back to answer the vitriol question. It's easy now because there's no line dividing the clubhouse. This is, hey, all of us can look at that one team over there on an island and we can all throw stones at those guys and say, hey, look, they did this, when in reality we know that that's not quite accurate. And as I said before, I think you're in the unfortunate situation of working for the organization that's the brunt of that. And it's going to be challenging because of some of the ignorant statements and some of the ignorance surrounding what's going on. And if, if, if I had a barometer... I would use Will Clark and John Smoltz and some of these guys that have been around a little bit, these Hall of Famers, to understand, like, look, we've always been trying to steal signs. And, and just to finish up on that thought, Kurt Suzuki was saying, we knew they were stealing signs last year in the World Series. We heard the whistling. The thing that he didn't point out or didn't articulate is that every team is still trying to steal signs all the time. 
So the whistling could have been legal sign stealing, right? Like, I mean, so let's let's get away from from just saying that, hey, the Astros are the only team stealing signs. Yes, they did use technology. Yes, they've acknowledged that. Yes, they've been punished for it. And we both know that they're going to be punished throughout the year by fans in visiting stadiums and continuously on social media. And I've said before, they've got to batten down the hatches and play well, and that'll shut everybody up. Um, they've apologized. Now, I, I know we'll get into the, the press conference a little bit. Jim Crane did not do a good job to, to kind of right the ship. But, um, but anyway, so Kurt Suzuki saying that he heard whistling and banging and names and stuff like that in the World Series. This is two and a half years after 2017. They were, as you pointed out, too, they were trying to get in the head of the guys that were out on the field. So if you want to add some light to that, that would be great. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. You have... Um, a lack of thought and a lack of ignorance or a lack of intelligence around some of the statements. And I think that's going to continue to be the fact until, uh, until it goes away. Yeah. It's funny that you bring it, you brought a, a lot of good things in there and I agree with you on all of them. And I think it's kind of interesting that Kurt Suzuki came out and said that about the whistling to what you're talking about in the world series. And the reason he was probably hearing all those things is because the Astros have created a reputation. If you go back to 2017, there was obviously something going on. And then you all of a sudden you have the reputation. And having called a lot of Astro games, I know that there's a, you know, they maximize their mound visits against them with a guy at second base because they're trying to get the signs right, trying to uh, be covert in the signs they're giving. And with a runner at second base, the Astros are going to steal your signs. And that's what every team has done since the dawn of time. Since sign giving has been a thing from the catcher to the pitcher, guess who's in direct line of that of that view is the guy at second base. And if you're just going to put down one finger or go first sign after two or three or whatever it is, and I can sit there and decipher it in two pitches, that's not my fault. You can't get mad at me for that. That's your catcher's fault. And it's the pitcher's fault. It's the shortstop's fault. It's the second baseman's fault. Make the adjustment. Now, getting back to the whistling and name calling or the name, using your name to, to give the signs like we've talked about previously, you and I both know that there is a psychological game being played during every single game. And if I can get you off your game just a little bit, I'm going to take advantage of it. So if I can sit at the end of the dugout without a monitor, without an idea of what signs you're giving and time my whistle perfectly when the pitcher is coming set, and he steps off, guess what? I'm in your head. Yeah. And that's what it's about. If I can if I can jack around your routine and go, and you go, wait, wait, wait he's got my signs. Come here, Kurt, we gotta change our signs. And all of a sudden you're in a full panic and you've gotta change things up on the fly in the middle of a World Series game. I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. I may not have any signs. And there also may be one of the 45,000 people in the seats too, by the way, but I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. I am messing with you. It doesn't mean that I have the signs. It doesn't mean I don't have the signs. You don't know that, but I'm in your head and I'm looking for every advantage I can get. And maybe that's one of them. Let me think of some other analogies. Let's see. When a guy's on a free throw line, is everybody silent? <laughs> when the guy's yeah. on the free throw line trying to make free throws, they got the little, yeah. you know, the, towels, the things in the, the stands and the towels and they lean one way. I mean, it's the same thing. And I think and nobody we, oh, to that point, nobody's ever iced a kicker. Oh, yeah, that's right. Timeout or like movement or I, I mean, it's just it's the same thing. And I think that that is back to what you said about Kenley Jansen. And I'm saying it about Kurt Suzuki. Um, 
it's a little irresponsible to now say, oh, yeah, they were cheating all along. Uh, I think we we both know that sign stealing has been part of the game since the dawn of time. And the fact that the Astros got really good at it um, is going to be overlooked in this because then they got caught taking it too far. But now they've been punished for that. And now it should be everybody on a level playing field. And who's going to be watched more, you know, more uh more like a hawk than any team in the in the uh, major league baseball. It's going to be the Astros. They're going to be watched and monitored and scrutinized beyond what other teams are. And uh, and I think you know I I just think they've they've certainly paid a hefty price. They will as they travel on the road this year. And I think it's time we're going to be exhausted by you know I mean how many more podcasts are we going to have to discuss this? We're going to be exhausted oh, by the end of it, and I just can't wait for the season to start. Some guys will get plunked. The road trips will be interesting, and they're going to hopefully huddle together and, and uh, stay strong and play hard. And I would say that about any team. I mean, I'm not trying to say this. This is so funny because our podcast is very Astros heavy, mm-hmm. and then this you know the focus obviously brings more to the Astros. I'd love to be talking more generally about baseball. Uh, I will add one thing here. I, I listened to uh, a couple guys interviewed on MLB Network this week, um, players from other teams. They're reporting, pitchers and catchers reporting. Some new guys are reporting to spring training, as you know. And they are like, hey, what about all this sign ceiling scandal? And they're, they basically shrug their shoulders like, what, I'm, you know, I'm just focused on what we have to do. I, you know, I wasn't involved in any of the sign ceiling scandal. You know, hopefully we can get on the field and, you know, they've, they've kind of, um, eradicated that from the game, and let's let's get on the field and play baseball. And I, I want to second that uh, second that thought and say, like, hopefully we can just move past this once the uh, games actually start. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know how far in depth we want to get on this because it's been pretty widely spread, and I know a lot of people are actually wanting our opinions because we are so close to to the situation. And you are right; we we have a tendency to get a little heavy on the Astros just because I am a part of their organization, and you know, a lot of the talk is centered around them because they've been one of the best teams in baseball in the last couple of years. And of course, we want to try and broaden things a little bit and talk about the game itself. But here we are moving everything back to them because they are at the center of the controversy in this universe right now. And it literally feels like it's 29 on one. And you had mentioned Jim Crane and the ownership of the Astros and the Astros organization as a whole trying to give a press conference. And you know, you can have your own judgment on that. I obviously love my job, and it, you know, it has it has nothing to do with the team on the field. I'm just, I'm speaking truly out of the fact that I didn't know, you know, eight years ago I didn't know I was going to get this job. I didn't know I wanted this job, but now that I have this job, I really like it. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun. The people I do work under have been fantastic to me. They've been fantastic to my family. The city of Houston has been off the charts great to my family and I. So I, I really do enjoy this job, and I want to stay in my job for a very long time. And, oh, yeah, a byproduct of me being happy and having a good job is I get paid and my family's taken care of. So let's just get all the logistics out of the way and understand where I'm coming from. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to recognize what is actually in front of you. And what I'm going to say right now may may not make a lot of people in Houston happy, and it may make people on the on the left coast happy. But it, it, but from the information I have and what I know and what I've seen, and I haven't tried to speak out of emotion, I haven't tried to speak out of passion. Is the Astros cheated? They took it too far. 
They were given an opportunity via the front office with code breaking or dark arts, and then it trickled its way into the clubhouse and they got their hands on it, maybe the first couple of times. I don't know if this is fact. This is just my opinion, having been in a clubhouse for 14 years, probably 30 years of my life, is uh, you know, you get the information and let's say it starts innocent enough as they have it and they figure out, the, they crack the code the night after the game in order to go into the next game of the series. All of a sudden you're like, wow, this is really effective and we're doing a pretty good job, even though the numbers don't bear that out. But you say, why don't we try and use it in game? All it takes is one guy to plant that seed. Now, I'm also having an issue with guys saying, you know, throwing belt. I mean, I know this is not, this is going to irk some people, but Beltron, the Godfather, you kidding me? I'm, I'm a grown man with my career on the line. And uh, I'm not, I don't have to listen to anybody in that clubhouse because I'm a young guy. I don't have to listen to anybody in that, in that clubhouse because he's a potential Hall of Famer. I respect the guy. I appreciate their opinion. But at the same time, I have an internal mechanism that says, this is not right. I don't want to be a part of it. I'm going to further myself from it. You may not speak out or throw anybody under the bus. But at the same time, you and I have both been in situations. And I can't pinpoint one right now because I don't remember you know, a guy shoving a needle in his ass you know, next to me. But there have been situations where guys were talking about doing something or they were going to go out and do this maybe later on in the afternoon or they were anti-manager and I just didn't want to be a part of the group that was going to clubhouse lawyer the situation. So guess what? Instead of going and going, manager, manager, guess what they're saying? I just said, I'm going to go sit over here or I'm going to go find a dude. And we're going to talk some baseball over here or I'm going to have a, 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 you know, a grilled cheese sandwich over here, or I'm going to go sit on the bench and get away from some of this mess. You're you know, these excuses that they come up with saying, oh, I felt pressured. There's peer pressure everywhere, you know, and it's up to the person to have the discipline and the confidence to say, I don't want to be a part of it and unplug yourself. Now, that's just me personally. I don't, I just don't see it being that heavy of a situation in the clubhouse. Um, but the press conference, the thing with press conferences and me just getting back, I know that was a little bit of a tangent and Tuttle's looking at me like, dude, bring it back. But getting back to the press conference, I feel like when you announce a press conference, especially in a controversial situation, you heighten expectations. And the expectation on the Astros is already high as it is. And then you say, we are going to prepare a statement and come out at you. They could have come out with their shirts off and said, we did everything wrong. We're we're responsible. Here's a trophy. Here's a ring. Here's my shares. And everybody would have been, that's not enough. They, they weren't going to please everybody. And that's also something I learned in broadcasting is that I'm not going to please every fan that is out there and what I'm going to say. So what do I have to do? I got to be me. And I got to I got to trust myself and I got to believe in myself. And I think that would have gone a lot, lot farther than having that press conference like we saw when Correa finally snapped, took the lead. And, you know, whether you, you agree with what he said, uh, I you know, I appreciate how prepared he was. It really felt like he did his homework and was prepared in his response to other teams attacking him. And to finish off my point, you are absolutely correct, Tuttle, in saying that they are going to be the target of 29 teams and 29 fan bases for a very long time. And it's time to play baseball. Awesome. That's a great statement. Blummer, that might be the best content on the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your connection to the Astros, the city, how they've treated you. Obviously, um, you've met Jim Crane um, more than one time. I mean, he's ultimately your boss. 
but to be able to kind of articulate it and say, look, I mean, it's, you know, it's been hard on everybody, especially if associated with the Astros. And the Astros, they are trying to do their best. This is not a good situation from the beginning. People, but if you're outside of Houston, you understand that you're never going to make anybody happy outside of Houston. But internally, they they were their mentality was, I am just going to, we're just going to try and do our best to say what we need to say and get out and go play. Yeah, but I but I agree with you with Correa coming out like he seemed prepared. And as you said, when we say, hey, you know, instead of you and I doing this podcast, which we've now, you know, we're on episode almost 60. It's great. I'll call you or text you and say, hey, should we do the podcast today? Yeah, today's a good day. Let's do it. Let's rock on. If you and I said, all right, it's going to be our hundredth podcast. I'm going to wear a suit and we're going to go <laughs> live and do it. Uh, you know, it heightens the expectations and everything kind of gets um you know, it just gets more under a microscope. And I think you're right. If they're going to announce a press conference, they should have, you know, they should have the dais set up. They should have had some talking points and they should have had, you know, some contrition in the sense that I'm not saying they didn't apologize. But again, you know very well when your kids apologize, you know, you tell them you're upset with them and they go, OK, I'm sorry. You know, there's no thought behind it. That needs to come. You know, it's like somebody saying, you know, telling your telling your wife, telling you, you don't she doesn't hear you say I love you enough. And so then the next day you're saying, I love you. I love you. It's like, well, it kind of falls on deaf ears, right? When you, mm-hmm. when you have to be told what to say and how to do it and how to feel, and then you go out and you're like, oh, this is how I need to feel. And this is how I need to do it. You already said it, but you know, you got to be yourself and you have to be true to yourself when it comes down to those expectations. And I felt like Carlos Correa, who I've actually said on this podcast, I think might be the most likely guy to trade. Because you have, mm-hmm. you know, Bregman kind of the rock and you have Springer in there and, you know, money wise and he's been injured. I think you kind of have found a new team leader moving forward for the year. And if Carlos Correa, you know, the first pick in the draft uh, many years ago and has been a team leader kind of behind the scenes when he's healthy, he's a superstar from a from a talent standpoint. We've we've articulated that more than once on this podcast for him to come out and be the team leader. Almost whether he's right or wrong, it doesn't matter if Bellinger's right or good, if Correa's right point. or Suzuki's right. It doesn't matter. They'll look to Correa and go, "Hey, we want we want to be in a foxhole with this dude." I mean, Carlos Correa said what we all kind of feel, which is, "Look, we didn't do this and we didn't do that, but we did this and we got punished for it." And that was in 2017, and that's where we stand. And I had never heard the tattoo thing. So I don't know if anybody read the article or something. Yeah, but he's basically saying Altuve had a tattoo, either a newly done tattoo or a tattoo that wasn't finished, that he didn't want his shirt torn off for. That actually makes sense. I mean, there hasn't been any proof of buzzers. And you know darn well, like buzzers? Like, how does that even? So anyway, my point is, is that I think the Astros have found a new team leader, at least somebody they can stand behind for the season moving forward. And, and we got to get this. We've talked about before, I wrote a note on this, but we've talked about this before. Social media is not best for the health and welfare of our society. And you and I both kind of joke about about having played in the Twitter era. Like some things I did in college, if those things were on Twitter or Facebook, I don't know if I ever would have gotten drafted. And I'm I'm not a bad guy. I mean, I've never been arrested, but it's (laughs) like, you know, you just, things that you you know, you learn, right? That's the good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. If everybody has your your bad judgment moments kind of, um, you know, videoed and, 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 you know, itemized and sit stored on a hard drive somewhere, 
we're all in trouble. And, and I just want to go back to the John Smoltz point, which is, hey, those of us that live in glass houses should not throw stones. And I think it's going to be a tough year already. Let's move forward. Let's play some baseball. And let's kind of, you and I, for sure, get back to talking about the things that, that brought us here in the first place. I completely agree. Tuttle, I know that uh, it has been a, a rough week and trying to watch the game and especially on my end, watching what's happening to an organization that I belong to. And, you know, I, I, I am proud of, I, I, I still feel that there is an opportunity for redemption, but it's a matter of these guys going out there and playing as hard as they can and putting up the similar numbers to what they've done in the last two, three years. But we do have to continue on and play the game. And if you want to check out uh, bleacherblums.com, you can go there and check out a little more about David Tuttle. You can check out a little bit more about myself. You can get in the mailbag and send us a note. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Be, be appropriate about it because we are giving you the respect on this podcast by not airing anybody out or trying to go off the rails. We're trying to have some tempered conversations, even as tough as it is. But I think that's the beauty of what Tuttle is doing is – you know, we do take a couple of days to kind of absorb all the information and try and break it down and maybe offer a different narrative because it is a tough time. You know, nobody knows how they're going to react in a situation until you're in it, whether it's a great situation or a bad situation. And everybody's going to have an opinion. I agree with what you said about the social media. I think that, you know, that's, you know, the social media is really a tough part for me. And I know that this day and age, you know, that little heart button that's on every post that, uh, you know, the ability to comment on every post, I really feel like it affects everybody on there. And that's maybe why you get some of these crazy comments. And I understand the passion of the game, but, you know, you get these, you know, you get the sound bites, you get the, uh, you know, the, the one-liners, and all of a sudden, I want, this is going to get me a ton of likes. You know, my fan base is going to be fired up when I tell you know, somebody they're they're an a hole or they're you know, they're stupid or they stole this or they did that. They should be ashamed. Ah, I, you know, I don't. If Twitter is your moral police, we've got some issues, and I just don't think that it, it's appropriate. You know, to, you know, it's, it, Twitter's been a tough time for me reading it lately because, you know, I did not steal. I, I, you know, I didn't cheat. I didn't do anything. But the, you know, guilty by association gets me a lot of people who just realized that Twitter is a thing and invented a profile and have yet to figure out how to put an avatar up there or a picture, but they figured out how to have these ghost accounts and burner accounts and send all this crap to me. Go ahead, bring it. You know, I can handle it because ultimately at the end of the day, my family knows I didn't cheat. Those guys in the clubhouse know I didn't cheat. My boy Tuttle knows I didn't cheat. So you can bring it, but you know, go ahead. I know that this is good. You know, if there's people outside of Houston listening to this, they're going to send their tweets and I'm going to go, hey, great. You wasted your time. You did a great job. You hit the send button. I'm proud of you. You know, I'll give you a little bit of a here. I'll give you a little bit of a golf clap, you know, but uh, at the end, I know that, you know, it has no effect on me. It's really going to affect those guys that are out there. So my idea around this whole situation, and I think, you know, this might be a different way of what you're saying, what you said earlier, Tuttle, and like, let's just go play ball. My idea is let them vent. They're mad. They're upset. They're angry. Bring it. Vent. And then let's go, let's move on. We got to play the game. Yeah, you know, moving on, that's an interesting thing. So uh, we're going to move on right now to the mailbag, and this is going to change the tenor of our podcast, I believe. So um, we're going to jump right in. Blummer, thank you for uh, thank you for talking about social media. I think we're going to touch on that subject again and again and again. 
as we uh, as we progress, we're we're turning into grouchy old men, especially when it, with, with regards to. Uh, we need some joy, man. That's right. With regards to social, social media, yeah, that's why we started doing this. All right. So Tracy G's written in before. This this one is for when you're both sick and t- tired of talking of sign stealing. Well, Thank we've you. reached that mark. So she says, I've lo- I love traveling to other ballparks when I can, especially if the Astros are playing there. I have been to Wrigley, Fenway, Coors Field, Globe Life Park, which is Arlington, uh, Guarantee Rate Field, which is uh, the old Comiskey Park, I believe, Chicago yep. White Sox, and Turner Field. I have heard Blummer and Julia talking about how amazing the Mariners ballpark is, and I hope to get there soon. But I am curious, what are your top ballparks uh, keeping in mind ease of getting to the ballpark and other things to do in that city around the ball games. So, I mean, I'm going to defer to you. I've been to a few ballparks and I think I just want to add some context to that for me, which is, you know, when you played the game and I, I think I said this before, like, you know, being a Giants fan is one thing, but when you're getting ready to go to spring training and I was a Diamondback or a Cincinnati Red or whatever, you know, you didn't think about going to the ballpark and, you know, peanuts and beer and parking. Like it was kind of yeah. your place. It's your place of employment is the way I look at it. And I know you did too. I mean, the bet, the things that were important to you were like, Oh, do they have a good clubby, you know, and how easy <laughs> yeah. is it to get to the field? Can I walk there? Do I need to take a long bus through traffic? I mean, there are different factors being a player as to which fields you liked versus now being a fan or a broadcaster. So, you know, you can kind of take it wherever you want to go. Well, I'm, I'm going to take it, but I want you, while I'm talking about uh, the ballparks, and some of the ones that I enjoy, I want you, Tuttle, to think about what what makes a ballpark appealing to you as a fan, or what you know, just in in utopia, what would be your you know an ideal situation for a stadium for you? Because when I think about what some of the great places that I get to go travel and and things like that, you know, I'd love going to Chicago, but I don't like going to you know I lo- I like the stadium, but the convenience of getting to the Chicago Comiskey Ballpark isn't exactly easy. You got to get on a bus, you got to hop on the highway and get there. But I love the city of Chicago. You know, the fans there are great. Once I get to the stadium, the fans are unbelievable. And of obviously the magnificent mile and where we stay is fantastic. So touristy stuff, great. Uh, same to- I guess New York is in the same, same way for me in that sense that great city, love going there because the food's great, shopping's great, the hotel's good. Uh, there's convenient stuff to do around the hotel, but getting the ballpark, man, sometimes it can be a real pain in it. You know, I feel like the longer I sit on a bus, the more it kind of sucks the energy out of when I get there. So I'm, I'm really a fan of Seattle. Yes. The stadium is phenomenal. There's great sight lines for all the fans. It's a beautiful ballpark, the way it sets up and they have a roof. So, you know, you're going to play the game no matter what. And, the food inside the stadium, I know for a fact, is amazing because they've got sushi. They've got Edgar's Tacos down the left. So food is another big deal for me. But the convenience, you know, I know for a fact that if I wanted to, if the game got done early enough, I could pack up my backpack and I could walk back to the hotel. I love that aspect for so many different reasons, just because every city is so culturally different and everybody has their own different vibe to it. So I love the fact that you can just walk to the ballpark or you can walk home from the ballpark. That's a big deal for me because, you know, like San Diego for Tuttle and I, San Diego is a great spot because you go to the ballpark and you fall out of the left field bleachers and you're on the, in the gas lamp district. So you get to enjoy a lot of the community outside of the ballpark. And I think that's really a, a fun thing to do. And I think Texas is actually going to be an interesting situation. I know uh, there's not too many Ranger fans on here, but I'm excited to see their new ballpark and the way they set it up because they have like one of those outdoor areas. That I think it's like 
Texas Rangers Live or whatever they call it, but the, it really creates an atmosphere where fan, you want fans to get there and not necessarily have an all-day experience, but you want them to have an experience. Get there early before the game, enjoy some food, some beverages, the kids have fun running around, and then you get to go inside and enjoy a great ball game. So for me, it's it's convenience from the hotel to the stadium, the food, and then just the overall you know beauty of the stadium and the sight lines and the location. And a lot of the downtown stadiums have some great, just great views from where you're sitting in the ballpark. Great. And and I also think the evolution of what we're seeing is is what what we're talking about mainly. Meaning if you look at some of the older ball, all, older ballparks like um well like Dodger Stadium, uh, but even Anaheim, the big A here, those are the two local ones to me. You're going to Anaheim to see a baseball game. There's not a lot of interactivity. Now they've built yeah. up some, you know, microbreweries around it and the, you know, the Anaheim Ducks play nearby, but you those are all separate venues. To your point, I mean, Petco is a great one. You 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 go down there to San Diego, you can go at like one in the afternoon, walk around the Gaslamp District, actually even go over to the harbor, walk around Good point, where yeah. you stay as a visitor. You stay in the hotel right there connected to the ballpark. I mean, that's that that's that's great from a fan's perspective, but even more so as you touched on from a player's perspective, because you can kind of get to the yard when you want to get to the yard and you can leave when you want to leave, you know, within, you know, normal business hours. But if you want to get there early and watch film, or if you want to get there early to take some swings in the cage, you can kind of do that. And, and um, you mentioned talking from a fan's perspective. So my, my two best experiences, um, I guess, I guess just to go back, old stadiums still kind of have that old feel and you're just going for a ball game. And I'm much more involved and much more excited about kind of the new feel. And so you can you can put that on a bunch of ballparks, like you said, Seattle. I like uh, AT&T Park where the Giants mm -hmm. play is a great one because the food's good. You can you know take an Uber to and from. I know that the players could stay somewhere a little closer. I think they stay up you know <laughs> like Union Square or something. But it, it's 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 a great place to 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 watch a ball game, and mm -hmm. they have. Like you said, the the smell of the Gordon Beer's garlic fries you can smell from oh, miles man, no. and miles away. But but ultimately, from a fan's perspective, Wrigley still has me going. Mm. And I went there not playing at all. I know the dugouts and the clubhouse are a little you bang your head and it's old school. But man, I mean the Cubby Bear and there's a couple good spots around there. Uh, They've and, actually dressed it up and done a lot better around the vicinity of uh, Wrigley Field these days. So it is like a total, you know, neighborhood environment for them. Oh, it's so great. And I've actually been out on uh, one of the, the rooftop stadiums before. One of my wife's companies had a little venue there. And, you know, something I never thought I would do, That's being a ball player. Yeah, like watching a ball game out there, having a Budweiser. Uh, really cool vibe and feel. So, you know, I mean, Wrigley Field's kind of the go-to. It's a standard thing. But at any modern ballpark, we talked about Petco, AT&T, uh, the Seattle field, Safeco field. Those are all great fields because of the interactive um, environment. All right. Next question. Um, let's see. I have a couple. That was here. actually a really good question. That was. You know, because fan. I, I think it's. You know, if you are a fan and you're going to travel, you're you're looking for some of the convenience. You don't want to. You know, if you if you have the option, you'd rather not get the rental car and be able to Uber, be able to public transit to the place or something like that, and make it a little more convenient. Well, I've talked to you before on the bus from uh, when, so when the Astros come out to play Oakland, so you actually stay in the same place that you would stay if you were playing in San Francisco, Yep. not to give that away to the fans, but in general, you got to get on a bus, man, and take, oh, get it's a 45 minute drive. 
Yeah, it's 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on traffic. I mean, <laughs> and that's, I mean, people commute to work, I understand, and you're getting a chartered bus, but it's just not as convenient. And if you have your choice, it's a lot easier. So um, this is from Gretchen F. This is, again, kind of away from our sign stealing and on to some other things. She does say it's all Astros related. Sorry, Tuttle, but we'll, we'll get through it. Um, hey, guys. <laughs> Thanks for the entertainment and insight. I keep trying to recruit more listeners to the point I think my friends are annoyed. Well, hey, uh, if you we annoy your friends, you, Gretchen. yeah, if if your friends are annoyed, but we get more downloads and likes, then you know, hey, thanks for taking cause. one for the team, Gretchen. I appreciate. <laughs> it. My uh, my question is all Astros related. Sorry, with Baker and Click coming in, what role do you see Jordan and Reddick playing this year? Will Jordan be strictly a DH again this season, or will we see what he can do on the field? I saw a rumor that the Astros made Hunter Pence an offer with the outfield already being stacked. My first thought was, oh, no, not Reddick. Well, we since know Hunter Pence signed with the Giants, so that's a good thing. Might be a dumb question, but figured it couldn't hurt to ask and get your guys' take. So basically, she's asking about Jordan Reddick, the platoon, like yep. what's, what are their plans? And, you know, maybe we don't know and maybe we do. Yeah, and I'm not sure how much people knew at the end of last year, but Jordan was having a little bit of a knee issue, and I think he cleaned that up in the offseason because he wasn't running extremely well, and I think he's a little bit healthier. And with that knee being healthy, I'm sure – I haven't seen him yet, but he's already an Adonis when he puts on a uniform. This dude is a just a beast of a human. And I think that he is going to be in better shape in spring. That's one of the things I'm actually going to look for when I get down there is seeing the physicality of Jordan. And I think Dusty Baker has come out and said as much that Jordan might expect a couple more games out there in left field than we saw last year. And again, last year was his rookie season where he won rookie of the year and he was kind of getting his feet wet. So I think that when AJ was the manager, he was just, he was just basically telling Jordan, don't worry about anything, just go up there and hit. And I think that really benefited him. But if he's going to be up there for a full season, he can't clog up the DH spot. I think he's going to have to open it up for maybe a day for Reddick or a day for Springer, a day for Altuve or a day for Brantley. So there might be more opportunities for him to maybe mix in. I'm not sure how good he is at first because I haven't seen him play over there. But I know in left field, he played a serviceable left field. And, of course, there's some ballparks where if you feel he's a liability, you can hide him a little bit. But the interesting thing about Josh Reddick, who I think is going to get playing time, is that the other guy that's out there is going to be uh, Kyle Tucker. I think it's time for Kyle Tucker to step up and say, okay, I'm ready to shed this prospect status and go out there and be a player in the big leagues. This is a big season for him. And uh, if, if he does end up breaking camp with the Astros, it's going to be tough for him and Reddick, both left-handed hitters, to find time in right field. I think that's where the issue crops up a little bit is, what you know, how do you platoon two left-handed hitters? But I can tell you right now, more often than not, a veteran manager like Dusty Baker, if you're going out and facing a Garrett Cole, guess who's going to face uh, Garrett Cole? It's going to be the veteran, Josh Reddick. So, you know, that might be the situation that Tucker and Reddick find themselves in. And that is going to be a little bit of an issue. So I'm curious to see how that unfolds, too. Great. That's a good answer. And I get off the hook for that one because I have no idea how they're going to utilize those two guys. <laughs> so um, We need right. you for other stuff, Total. All right. There you go. Uh, for certain, certainly not the uh, on-field Astros analysis. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is from, let's see. Oh, Kevin in Virginia. Kevin in Virginia, thanks for listening. I love uh, putting the uh, state and the... Um, I guess the state and the region when it's not from Houston, Texas, that makes me feel like we have some uh, wide range listeners. And if uh, if Gretchen can get more of her friends to download and listen, maybe they're across state lines as well. So um, Kevin that. says, yeah, hello, gents. 
trying to keep it light and fun here. And forgive me if you two have talked about this in an earlier episode. I'm still a re relatively new bleacher blum. Hey, relatively new doesn't mean you can't go back and listen to the other ones. That's what we've said before. So get on it, Kevin. Listen and let us know uh, what you think. But I remember in my five years as a broadcaster in high A ball, hearing a lot of funny stories about kangaroo court in the clubhouse. It was even more fun on the couple of occasions I was able to actually be in the clubhouse during the proceedings. <laughs> so my question is, do either of you both have a funny kangaroo court story or you could, uh, you could share without throwing anyone under the bus, of course, that might enlighten your followers. Keep up the good work. I look forward to tuning in each week. So basically looking for a kangaroo court story. I was thinking of a few, but... Um, I'm going to defer to you and think if there's something that uh, is of interest. Because some guys just don't get it. You mentioned earlier oh, on about guys like, this is kind of our, you know, it's our clubhouse justice. It's a way to kind of keep it light. And you said, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure. There's some guys that just don't get it. And they take it personally. It's like, dude, come on. Yeah, you know, there is one particular, this is probably the, one of the more incredible ones. I'm not going to name the team or name the players just because, I, I just don't feel it's necessary. <laughs> it, 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 would, it would probably explain a little too much about personalities in the clubhouse. But uh, had a situation where early in the year, we had we had a judge, a veteran judge, and it was actually... Oh, go hold, ahead. hold on one second. Why don't you explain what kangaroo court is? I, I'm thinking... Oh. Because I, I know I've been in the clubhouse. I'm thinking yeah. even my friends that I play basketball with don't really know what a kangaroo court is. This guy was a broadcaster, so he knows. But yeah, explain what kangaroo court is. Good, good, good call. I don't know why it's called kangaroo court, but it's just a, it, it's a comical way of kind of taking the edge off a clubhouse. And it can create some, you know, some inner conflict, but it can also create uh, some bonding a little bit when you start to expose some of these guys and ha actually take it for what it's worth, which is having fun. But it's a it's an impromptu court that has the veter usually a veteran leader who is the judge, and then you have three you know guys with maybe less time underneath that who are the who are the jury, and everybody represents themselves as far as prosecutor and defendant, but uh, you just bring up things that happen. If you forgot how many outs there were in an inning and ran off the field, boom, you're going to get fined in kangaroo court. If you slam your helmet, it come back comes back and hits you in the nose or hits another player, boom, you've been written up in kangaroo court. You know, if you forget a sign, you know, you're written up in kangaroo court. There's certain things like that. And you'll have stupid rules within kangaroo court. Like, you know, th th we had a judge one year that said, no cussing in my court. Uh, so I got called on this a couple of times. You know, you see somebody do something stupid or embarrassing, you call them out and you just really reinforce the fact that we're all in the same playing field. We're all idiots. We're all playing the game and nobody's greater than the game. Nobody's, uh, you know, underneath the game. It's just we're having a good time calling each other out for stupid stuff to keep light of the situation. It's a, it's a lighthearted way to police the clubhouse. The managers aren't involved. The coaches aren't involved. And like you said, uh, some guys play along and play nice in the sandbox with others, and some don't. And I think the swearing one is great because it's like having a swear jar. So as you get in yes. to defend yourself or prosecute yourself, you usually drop a few, uh, maybe an F-bomb or so in the clubhouse. And then, all right, 20 bucks in the swear jar. Yeah, <laughs> but, but to Tuttle's point, that's exactly what it was. And keep in mind, all the money that you're fined in kangaroo court usually ends up going to a team party at the end of the year on the last road trip of the year. So, it, you know, it, it's all going to a good cause. And if you actually, my mentality was, what's that? It's beer money. 
Yeah, that, that's how, <laughs> that's, and that's really how I looked at it. I'm like, you know, either way, I'm paying into a team party, so why not have a little bit of fun with it? And I was always the guy that if I got called out on something, I would, you know, I would plead not guilty every single time, and I'd come up with some harebrained idea of, you know, how it, how I the reason I didn't know how many outs, and I'd start throwing like nine other guys under the bus. I'd be like, well, that'd be because. Tuttle didn't tell me how many outs there were. And it was because Tuttle, he didn't look to me when I was throwing the ball back to him on the mound after the second out. You know, I, you start coming up with stuff like that. But all of a sudden, I would just be like, F this, F in that guy. And then, you know, shit this. And all of a sudden, by the end of my case, the case might have been for 50 bucks. I end up paying like 150 bucks because I cussed so many times. And I'm like, fine. You know, so I pay the fine and you move on. It's just kind of fun to do it that way. But I, there have been situations where guys, had, I, there was one situation where I, we watched a guy literally storm out of the clubhouse and get dressed in the equipment room. <laughs> we couldn't believe it. It was hilarious. And it was almost a badge of honor. We were like, we got him. <laughs> yeah, you knew the guy was going to get the red ass, and you <laughs> goaded him into Dude, it. Dude, I haven't heard red ass in forever. There you go. But, you know, you got to keep a straight face and, like, watch, <laughs> watch, you know. And then the, the judge and jury oh. got fined for, you know, poking the guy, poking the bear, I guess. No. Anyway, all right. Well, we won't get. We can get into specifics some other time. That I think is a, a, a good topic for yeah. uh, not just another day, but you know, people that don't know what kangaroo court is, you can Wikipedia it. But essentially, it's a self-policing mechanism to uh, foot, put money into the the swear jar, the funds for the party <laughs> at the end of the year. And and man, it was funny because as you said, there's 25 guys in the clubhouse. Maybe 22 of them are all kind of participatory, but there's always that one guy, you know, or oh, two guys on the on. fringe, and they. He gets picked on because he has no social etiquette and no on-court <laughs> awareness. And then they end up, you know, getting super bitter, you know. And in the, the minor leagues, it was a little bit different. AAA, not so much. But, you know, A-ball, double-A guys aren't making a lot of money. So we had to, we had to, you know, find guys like chores. Like, they had to carry bags and stuff. And yeah, they were not happy. I remember so. that. Yeah, so. Anyway, all right. I think that'll do it for the mailbag, uh, at least for this week. But it got us on onto some better topics and subjects for us. Uh, yes. Thank you. For moving forward, and I, and I, I can all appreciate that. You know that. what's great yeah. about the mailbag and Tuttle going through that? We appreciate everybody gets in there, and I know that some of these podcasts, we don't want them to get too long. That's why we don't read every single one. But knowing that we got a couple of very positive and taking a left turn away from the sign stealing, thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully that's what all these segments do. I think last podcast we touched on the fact that, I mean, the reason we got into this is, you know, talking in the parking lot we had a lot of good subjects and most of it was about baseball and life and all those things and uh you know i mean as athletes and specifically professional baseball players we were taught to deal with that ad adversity at a young age and i think that uh if we're taught to deal with adversity what better time to utilize our skill set than dealing with a situation like this and when, uh, with the mailbag being done i know that uh, we've got a quick read from peterson's i'm going to give that to you right now as you know, here on Bleacher Blumps, we love giving a shout out to the military, armed services, and first responders. We are grateful for everything they do. That's why I'm proud to introduce Peterson's, because today's Bleacher Blumps podcast will be sponsored by Peterson's Test Prep. For over 50 years, Peterson's has helped active duty service members, veterans, and first responders advance their careers. Whether you're looking to join the military, advance within the military, or transition to a civilian career, Peterson's will help you on your journey. Peterson's provides online learning courses and test preparation for military exams like the ASVAB and the AFOQT, as well as a career licensure 
exams needed to become an EMT, paramedic, or law enforcement officer. Visit Petersons at www.petersons.com and use coupon code BASEBALL during checkout for 20% off your first purchase. That's right, use the coupon code BASEBALL during the checkout for 20% off your first purchase. For every path, there is a test, and for every test, there's Petersons. Go to www.petersons.com. Thank you to Petersons for giving us an opportunity to continue this podcast. We greatly appreciate the support from them, and I hope you check them out. Make sure you use that code BASEBALL to get that discount on the first purchase. But that leads us right into a big moment in this podcast. And speaking of positivity and, and getting off my lawn and having a great time, I can't wait for it. Here it is. Waddle, Tuttle, Say. I think this segment's growing on me. I don't know if it's because my name's in it, but uh, it's definitely might, growing. I might have a little bit. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> this is the most important part of the podcast. <laughs> I, uh, you know what makes me laugh is uh, earlier you mentioned grilled cheese. You know, if I just want to get to the clubhouse and have a grilled cheese, boy, that brought back memories. So we, we got one of those Foreman grills, oh, yeah. uh, George Foreman grills, and we would get like the chicken breast from uh, Costco. The clubby would put those in there. I mean, I... I ate more like grilled chicken breast sandwiches like after batting practice than ever. But it just made me, it's pe- peanut butter and jelly, grilled cheese, you know, the knife in the jar, like with peanut butter everywhere. <laughs> like there, there's no, no greater sign than you actually been in a clubhouse than talking about grilled cheese sandwiches and PB and J. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter what level of baseball you played Dude. at. Like, even in college, they would throw that stuff out there. You're like, really? Peanut butter and jelly? Like, Dude, that's if you went in and they had a George Foreman, you were like, bro, oh, they're grilling man. chicken back there. Yeah, we felt so big league. That was AAA. And so our AAA clubhouse for the Diamondbacks was the actual big league clubhouse for the spring training site. Nice. So basically when spring training ended, you know, a couple of guys in AAA got to keep their lockers and we would stay there. And all kind of the amenities that they didn't throw on the bus and take down to uh, Phoenix we just stay in Tucson, and it was like, oh, yeah, we got a two George Foreman grills, and, oh, look, they left beers in the fridge. This is good stuff, you know? That's pretty interesting. Yeah, so uh, so the topic of what'll Tuttle say, it's going to take a left turn away from baseball. I think the get-off-my-lawn things worked before, and I've told some stories about customer service. But uh, this is related to the customer service thing. So my wife um, is in medical sales. I don't think we've touched on that before. And one of kind of the... The best ways to talk to, and this works for most industries, but you know, being in sales, it's the best way to kind of get surgeons and doctors to speak with you is to have a lunch at their office. And so you're going to host a lunch at their office and they'll come give you five or 10 minutes. And mostly the lunch is not specifically for the doctors. It's for the, the staff, the office staff and everything. And they come in and enjoy it so that you can, you know, the, the office shuts down for an hour. So my wife used, I, I'm going to, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it's like DoorDash. It wasn't DoorDash, but used a catering service. So I'm not throwing DoorDash under the bus. It was not DoorDash. I promise. To get this lunch there, and so you know she's doing all the other work. She's got you know the presentation to give to the surgeon. She's got all this stuff dialed in. She's working on it, and she has to drive down to San Diego to get there on time. She gets down there, and the lunch isn't there. And you know this has happened before. So she gets on the horn like, hey, where's the lunch? Oh, uh. It looks like the delivery guy went to uh, the wrong place or he thought he was picking up something somewhere else. And she's like, oh, all right, well, how, how long till he's here? The lady says 15 minutes. 
Uh, okay, great, 15 minutes. So she gets off the phone. Well, 30 minutes go by, and now the surgeons are in there, like, twiddling their thumbs, and everyone's sitting in there. And uh, she's like, all right. So she calls back and says, what's going on? They're like, oh, uh, well, yeah, the uh, the driver is not going to make it today with the, you know, I'm telling the short version. Like, well, wait a second. He was just somewhere, and then he had to go pick up. Yeah, well, he delivered the food to the wrong place, and now we can't get the food to the – so, you know, Women tend to be emotional, men maybe a little more pragmatic. My wife, when it comes to work, is so practical and pragmatic. She's like, all right, deliver the f So how long till you're going to get my replacement order here? Oh, well, we just figured the time window. Oh, that's the other part about this catering service. Is there national? So the lady that my wife was speaking to was in New Jersey or New York. So oh. we're here in Southern California. So this lady is like an intermediary, like a go-between. Like she has to call. So I don't know how this service works, but... The lady's in New Jersey, and she's like, "Well, well, how long till my lunch gets here? Like, when are they going to go back and remake the order?" Oh no, no, no! We're just, we're going to give you thirty percent off your next order from us. And my wife and we're gonna is like, "We're going to leave you hanging." Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's the that's the caveat right there. And we're going to leave you. My wife's like, thirty percent off. I'm never using you guys again. Like, there's no way in, you know, like, in on God's green earth, I'm ever using this catering service again. The lady's like, well, just, I, I, I promise you, no, we'll give you 30% off your next order. She's like, what does that do for me now? What does that do for me now? This is, that's why these stories are all the same. This goes back to customer service, right? <laughs> like, what does that do for me now? So in case anybody ever, you know, if you want to hit me up on Mailbag, I could probably tell you the company. There's a 30% off offer sitting out there under my wife's name <laughs> if you want to use the service. But she's she's not going to take advantage of it and use it again. So I, I'm not going to throw this in the same bucket as social media and, like, problem solving and customer service. It's, you know, to me, it's all one thing, which I touched on last time, too. Responsibility for your actions. Like, what – on what – when did that become the norm? Like, what is that? That doesn't do anything for anybody. Like, this is a results-oriented world. Like, we need that, you know, these guys need to get their lunch. So I, I believe she, my wife uh, got it resolved uh, on her own, you know, of her own free will. She basically called somebody else, had it delivered later or something like that. But I just, I mean, where do we get to where it's like, okay, you know, so sorry. We made a mistake and uh, yeah, there's no repercussion. <laughs> especially in the world that we live in or what we've grown up in. And I think, you know, that's what's interesting about maybe, you know, hiring athletes after they're done playing in their sport. Because I, I would love to be on the phone call when the manager calls down and goes, hey, Tuttle, you, you're, you're coming in this inning. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm not feeling it. I, I, I think I'll think I'll get, you know what? If I don't pitch today, I'll give you an extra three outs tomorrow. <laughs> what are the chances that you actually get to go out there and pitch tomorrow? Yeah. None. None, you know, the report yeah. goes back and goes, this guy can't compete. We don't want any part of him. He can't ring the answer the bell when we want him to. I think that'd be hilarious. But yeah, you know, I, I appreciate the effort, a whole 30% off a burger on Tuesday when I wanted it on Sunday. <laughs> you know, I mean, what the exactly. <laughs> so anyway, that's the world we live in. I think that what'll Tuttle say uh, is, you know, it's turned into this kind of customer service related um uh, venue to discuss and forum to discuss, you know, what's wrong with today's society. But that's, uh, that's my story for the week and what'll Tuttle say. And, uh, again, don't offer a 30% discount when you can't deliver, uh, deliver the goods in the first place. That's my, that's my message. Love it. All right. Do we want to go to 
Lloyd and Harry and see what Blum and Blummer brings us this week. How about that? We'll throw it over to you. Good time for it. All right. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blum's. Full of shit, man. All right. Thanks to the boys, uh, you know, for, for throwing it to the Blum and Blummer segment. I should have saved the Kenley Jansen quote for this and and had a response, but I I couldn't. I was impatient and I freaked out. But uh, I think in Blum and Blummer, I'm just going to try and explain to everybody listening to this that I feel like I'm in a rather tough position being a color commentator for a team who is now under so much scrutiny. I know that our ratings are probably going to go up and there's going to be a lot more people watching our broadcast, but... You know, I waver, literally waver from day to day on how we're going to handle our broadcast. And I think that's something I think I'm just going to tell everybody right now in Blum and Blummer just to stay tuned, because ultimately my job is to give you the facts and give you what I see on the field. I can speculate to a point because of the experience I've had in clubhouses and on, on the field in certain situations, but we are embarking on a season that's going to be like no other. Uh, you know, the road trips are going to be incredibly interesting. And truth be told, you know, I when I was speaking about this team, I spoke from the heart and I spoke from what I was seeing. And I was amazed at how talented these guys were because of what I saw in spring training or what I saw in the minor leagues. And then it translated here to the big leagues. But yeah, there is a certain level of skepticism for myself too moving forward on what these guys are going to be able to go out and do. And all I can tell you right now in just you know, the preliminary stages of preparing for this season, I'm just going to try and give you as much straight talk as I can and give you what I see on the field. It doesn't mean that I I back up these guys and what they did. It doesn't mean that I just, you know, I, I disgraced these guys on what they what they did. I think it's just a matter of me being able to go out there and call a baseball game and, and call it with my own eyes. And there may be some variations on that, but I hope that these guys continue to play with a passion. I will continue to objectively as, as much as I can will them to win because I know that if they win, it will be a good thing for the city and the good thing for the organization. But I'm going to kind of maybe be a little more tempered in some of the responses that I do here or do see on the field. That being said, I want to get to a little bit of baseball news that is, that is a sad day for baseball. I do believe hearing the passing of Tony Fernandez, even though I did not know him directly. And I think a lot of fans and Tuttle can attest to this too, that we watch the game and we, we are so enamored with what, baseball players are able to do on the field that we do feel that we'd know them via television or via the way they played. But Tony Fernandez was an excellent shortstop. Uh, and I actually tried to emulate him while I played shortstop. And I got to tell you, it didn't go very well because Tony Fernandez was, he had the best hands of anybody I've ever seen. Uh, him and Alfredo Griffin are a couple of guys that come to mind for me as a kid growing up watching at shortstop. But Tony Fernandez had this uncanny ability to never get his his bare hand into his glove hand. He could literally field a ground ball and flip it to his right hand without even looking. It was, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then he would go over to second base to turn a double play, and there would be a six to 12 inch gap in between his glove and his bare hand, and guess what? He would turn the double play. So 
that was one of the things that I wanted I wanted to have in my skill set. And I don't think it ever came to me, but I sure as hell tried in practice. But I just want to remember Tony Fernandez and how great a shortstop he was and kind of that, you know, that laissez-faire, relaxed at, at bats he would have and just slap the ball the other way and go running around. It was unorthodox. It wasn't pretty all the time, but damn, that dude had some good hands. So rest in peace, Tony Fernandez. You know, baseball lost a good one in, in him passing away. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you obviously got to be on the field with him or next to him and see him, but I, I think um, I, I think you're right. I think what happens now that I'm coaching my daughter in Little League and, and, and those type of things, I think the when you're always telling your kids to warm up correctly and you're telling them to um, you know stay down on the ball and use two hands and things like that, what they forget because they're watching these guys on TV is they go, well, look, I'm watching Tony Fernandez do it. It's like, dude, when you're Ozzy Smith or, you know, or uh, it's hard or to remind yourself Alfredo of that. Yeah, you're right. Griffin or Tony Fernandez, like those, these guys are the best in the world. And I think it reminds me, I went to, uh, when they used to have the, um, the LPGA, PGA, and then the senior tour down here in Dana Point. I don't know if you ever went to that event down there. I think it was called the Hyundai. But they basically had a, a player from each turn um, from each tournament uh, down there, and they would make up these boxes. Yeah, so Fred Couples was there one time, and I played the course a few times. They took a like a par, it was a par three that's about 175 yards, and they moved the tee box back to like 208 or 210, like for these guys because they knew they could do it. And Fred Couples took out like a five iron. Come on. And hit this like low line draw, like and and I think the same thing goes with Olympic skiers. You they're skiing on a slope, and on TV it looks like this nice little flat slope. And if sure. you ever see the slope, it's like you know, it's yeah, like it's 88 degrees. Yeah. It's like straight up and down. And that's what we forget when we're watching these guys. And I think when you said that about Tony Fernandez, it just made me think like how easy he made it look. Because mm -hmm. I totally remember watching him on those Blue Jays teams that were super successful. We saw what Dan Plesak and Dave Steed tweeted out today, these guys that played with him. I mean, as a pitcher, a, a former pitcher, <laughs> that's the kind of dude you want playing behind you. And I think that when we tell our kids, hey, use two hands and stuff like that, we can we have Tony Fernandez to blame for the fact that kids are using one hand and trying to wing it over here because he made that stuff look so easy. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, just uh, farewell to Tony Fernandez. You brought a lot to the game, whether he knew it or not. I hope he did know it because he did have an impact, obviously, on teammates, but also those of us who watched him uh, grow and play the game. And, and man, he was a blast to watch. And that's going to do it for Bleacher Blums. I'm not sure if there's much more on the table. There's not much to bet on right now. I know we usually have a don't bet on it segment, but we've got March Madness coming up. And uh, obviously, we've got baseball season coming up. Today is... Uh, getting a day closer to spring training. I will be out there covering three games, but we'll get into that mess later. But for the time being, just remember that baseball is a fun game. Be passionate as a fan. Try not to be irrational as a fan and be respectful of others. You know, there's a lot of people uh, with a lot of anger out there and uh, hopefully it doesn't bleed over into some some awful situations. Just continue to be fans of your team. Continue to be more a fan of the game. And that's what I think Tuttle and I have hoped for moving forward is that the game will bear itself out in its greatness when it is finally played on the field. And Tuttle, that's going to do it, man. This has been another great episode. You offer great insight. You got any parting words for everybody here in the bleachers? I don't, but you just, gosh, again, we could, we could go on for another hour. I mean, I, I would agree with you. Fan is short for fanatic. And uh, there's some concern about how, like you said, the, uh, the Astros are going to be treated on the road this year. 
And let's just remember that, you know, that's their place of business. That's where they do work. Um, you know, you guys can, as fans, yell what you want to yell, but let's be respectful as we ask you guys to be uh, on this podcast, respectful of other people's opinions and other people's workplace and, and be fans of the game of baseball. Just to reiterate what you said, Blummer, let's be fans of the game of baseball. Um, and uh, and not try to be a sideshow. Let's uh, let's see how the year pans out. If the Astros are uh, if the Astros are playing well, or if they're not playing well, then um, you know you guys will be able to see that on the field. Amen, brother. And of course, we always uh, at, at the end of every podcast, we give a shout out to first responders who who are doing a great job, running into harm's way, keeping us safe. We pray for all of you as you go out there and do your jobs. And of course, the military, home and abroad, doing a great job and really providing an example of selflessness. And I think that's something we all need to remember now is that being selfless is a pretty good thing and there's a lot of honor in it. So we appreciate all of you who are out there serving our country in order to keep us safe here at home because we enjoy it out here in the bleachers, but that's gonna do it. And guess what? Tell and I, all we want for you is to get after it. Most of all, believe it. It's really